Once they understand that you ain't quitting, once quitting is off the table, your body will find a way to adjust. It just will. Even when you think you can't finish, you got 40% left in the tank. Welcome to Building Teams with Matt Nunn. As a coach and as a leader of 150 people, Matt loves to build and lead strong teams. From CEOs to professional athletes, join him as he has honest, candid conversations about how to cultivate strong teams. Proudly presented by Nun Media, Australia's largest media buying agency. Today, we've got an incredible story and journey, probably from one of the most successful USA imports to come to Australian shores, winning, I think, a, a state title in Nara, several SEABL, I think, and VBA championships at Ballarat, and also NBL championships at Wollongong. Welcome, Damon Larry. Thanks for joining us. Big fella. It's about damn time you got me on here, man. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up in Michigan? Yeah, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan. Just me and my sister, mother and father, wasn't really what you would call an athlete. I was always small. I was the smallest guy on just about every team I've ever played on. Typical cocky kid who thought he was good, but really wasn't until somebody came along and told me I wasn't very good. Who taught you that? My high school coach. <laughs> so uh, first words he said to me were, you look just like your mother and you're not very good. <laughs> and I thought, he don't know what he's talking about. But yeah, just growing up in Saginaw, man, just hoping every day with my friends, playing football in the football season, basketball in basketball season. Pretty typical. And you ended up going to college in Alaska. How did you get to Alaska? Initially, I thought it was bad luck. I thought I was cursed. First time I'd ever been on the plane, too, was going to Alaska. So graduating high school, I played with a couple of dudes. Um, Mark Macon, he played. He made the NBA. He got drafted in the lottery back in like 87 or 88. I was just a point guard on that team, and we were the number one team in the state. But my numbers might have been six and six, six point six assists maybe, you know, play some defense. Yeah. So when I graduated in 85, it was either go to the Army or get a job or sell drugs. And I didn't know how to sell drugs. And I didn't want to go to the army. So my high school coach, he said, I'm going to find you a school. So I'm in the gym working out and coach comes over and says, Hey, Pee Wee, I got a school for you. I said, where? He goes, Juneau, Alaska. I said, come on, coach. I ain't going to Alaska. He looked at me and said, Oh, I thought you liked basketball. And he walked off on me. He let me think about it for a while. Then I said, well, I don't have any other options. I just got to go to Juneau and make it work. First time I was ever on the plane. And, you know, I think you told me a couple of stories about that, but you had an encounter with a bear. The grizzly. Now, it was my teammate. So what happened was our dorms, beautiful campus, but it was built right in the middle of the forest. There was a garbage dumpster right in the car park where everybody would normally take their rubbish. But us being lazy dudes from Saginaw, we would just open our back door and throw the rubbish into the woods, which was literally <laughs> 50 meters away from the back door. Bears got a heightened sense of smell. We opened up the back door. A bear was there and it chased them. And they tell you, if a bear ever chases you, don't run in a straight line. You got to zigzag. Steve zigzags all the way, all the way to the campus lodge, called home, got a plane ticket the next day. I didn't see him again for about 15 years. So now everybody's panicking. There's bears out here and they'll put up warning signs. If you hear a bear, run the other way. Put bells on your shoes because normally if a bear hears a noise, they'll go the other way. If you see a baby bear, you definitely go the other way because mama bear ain't far away. So this is how we lived. It was a heroin experience. 
So you went from Alaska to your first professional job. How did you end up in Australia? And I think it was Nara in the Waratah League. Now it's called the Waratah League. Back then it was just called New South Wales State League. So I finished my college career in Juneau. Actually, I played a, when I played a game against Lewis and Clark State. They had a guy on their team who was a senior when I was a freshman. So now when I'm a senior, we play them and I look up and I see him on the bench. Dude named Steve Williams. So I went up to Steve and said, hey man, what are you doing these days? He goes, oh, I'm playing pro ball in Australia. I thought he said Austria. I said, they play ball in Austria? He says, no, nah, Australia. I said, do you think I could play over there? He goes, you could play over there easy. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm not going back to my team. I'm going to this team called Wagga Wagga. That's when I thought he was messing with me. I'm going, come on, man. <laughs> he goes, no, nah, Wagga Wagga's this new team, but you can go to this team I just left called the Shoalhaven Tigers. So he gave that coach, Ward Can, my number. So now we got to work out the time difference. So I go, the, the school was real good for me. They opened up the library so me and my two buddies could go in there and talk to this Australian coach. So all I want to do is play pro ball. We're on the phone and, and I got, imagine this, Nunny. I'm sitting at this table and my two friends are in front of me. I got a little notepad. All I want to know is how much am I going to get paid? So Warwick says, hey, I'm going to bring you out to Sydney, Australia. I'm like, great. How much? He goes, Nara is about two and a half hours from Sydney. I was like, interesting. How much? He goes, we have some of the greatest beaches in the world. The sand is so fine, it squeaks <laughs> when you walk on it. I said, wow, that's awesome. But how much? He goes, you might want to know if there's any black people here in Australia. I go, actually, yeah, I do. He goes, yep, they're aboriginals, they're indigenous to the country. And yes, we have a small indigenous community in Nara. I said, awesome. How much? He goes, okay, let's get down to the money. He goes, we can start you out on 60. I'm like, <laughs> I write down on a piece of paper, 60 comma 000. Hold it up to my friends. They see 60 grand. They go, whoa, 60 G's. <laughs> and he said, Warwick says, if you do a few, if you do a few clinics, we can get you an extra 40. I said, what's, what do you mean clinics? He goes, you know, where you, you know, teach other kids like a camp. I said, oh, okay. An extra 40 for that? Write it down. I hold up a hundred. I go a hundred K. My buddies are falling out. You're rich. <laughs> so he says, yep, I know a hundred dollars doesn't sound like a lot, but that's all we got <laughs> at the moment. A hundred dollars a week. And I went, crossed out a couple zeros, held it back up. <laughs> and they all just <laughs> so yeah, I came off for a hundred bucks a week, man. Best decision I ever made. Very good. That's quite funny. <laughs> I want to talk to you about all your exercise ambitions. I see you on Instagram every day. If you're not running, you're swimming. If you're not swimming, you're crawling like a bear. Just want to understand, you know, what the hell are you thinking about? Well, it all started 2020 pandemic. So I was playing my buddy one-on-one, -on -one, and we would normally play games of one-on-one, -on -one, first to five. And he's 20 years younger than me, but we always compete, right? So we would play nine games. He wins seven, I win two. This particular day, he wins the first three. I'm so exhausted. My chest is pounding, man. I can't breathe properly. Like, oh my God, I can't finish the games. But I couldn't say the word quit. I wouldn't say it. So I look at Ash and I go, hey man, I can no longer continue. He looks at me and goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, if I continue, there's a good chance I could pass out. He goes, what? You quitting? I just put my head down and said, yep, I can't. I, I'm done. I get home, say to my wife, I go, you ain't going to believe this, but I quit. 
She goes, ah, oh, Ash is 20 years younger than you. I go, no, 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 no. You understand? I quit. <laughs> I ain't never quit. I'm soft. When did this happen? When did I actually go soft? So right at the same time, I started seeing David Goggins on his Instagram. So a buddy of mine says, man, you got to read his book. I got his book called You Can't Hurt Me. I read that book and was like, uh-oh, okay. I have now got to put myself in the fire. Only way to eliminate softness. You can't talk about it. You can't conceptualize it. You got to put yourself in the fire. So I said, that's it. And like everybody does on the 1st of January, everybody starts their little fitness regimes and exercise. So I started out running five laps at a local oval, which I call the oval of opportunity. <laughs> five laps. And I said, I'm going to go up one lap every day. So five to six. By the time I got to January 31st, I might have ran maybe 11 to 12 Ks. It was days when I have to run like, say, 20 laps and I would get to bed early. None of I'd be in bed like at eight o'clock. My knees are hurting. My hips <laughs> is hurting. My hip flexors ain't flexing no more. And I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to run 20 laps is over? I said, now I have to do these missions every other month because my body was so broken after January. I, didn't, I had to take all of February off. Then March, I'll have to come up with a tougher one and a tougher one. Now here I am 19 months in. And um, it's just, it's a way of life for me now. If it ain't hard, I ain't doing it. That's how I started. So what was harder? The 12 kilometer bear crawls, the 67,000 skips, or I think this month, the 400 kilometers inclusive of two marathons? Well, the bear crawls was the hardest. All I do now is read about Navy SEALs. That's all I do. They are the elite of the elite. I come down here, I get on YouTube, I read books. And I saw these dudes bear crawling during hell week. And I was like, huh. So I YouTube bear crawls. And there's one guy named Devin Levercue. He bear crawled a marathon. 26 miles he bear crawled. And he said he threw up 20 times. Don't know the human body can throw up that much. So I said, anything that hard, I got to try it. So I go down to my local Oval of Opportunity. I said, I'm going to bear crawl 100 meters. I stopped four times. Couldn't believe how tired I was. That was the hardest thing I did. So I would go 100 meters and the next day, another 100, 100, 100. And I did that every other day because on the other day, I was running a half marathon. So that was the hardest one all up. And then to make it harder, I would put a 10 kilo weight vest on and just crawl around, man. So that was the hardest one. So your missions must involve a lot of serious mental talk to yourself. How have you mastered your internal voice to be able to succeed on your missions? Ah... We get into the good stuff. The demons, the <laughs> demons, nunny. We all got them, man. The demons is that voice that says in your head, "Too hard. Don't do that." What are you thinking? Go back to bed. You're 54 years old. You had your time. Just take it easy. Those are the voices. Now, what happens is we block those voices out. A, they sound just like us because it is us. But we block them out. So when we go for runs and go for bike rides and do stuff, we put in the headphones. We put in podcasts. We listen to music. So you don't get to hear all the bullshit that's going on in your head. So David Goggins said he don't listen to nothing. He wants to hear what's going on. I said, all right, I'm going to do that. So I'm running around. And sure enough, man, I got 5Ks to go. And your demons start talking to you. Hey, man, you notice your knees? Your knees are hurting. You better watch out. You, you need to protect yourself. Why don't you just walk the rest of the way? Why'd you pick 5Ks? Make it 3Ks. It starts to try to make deals with you. Your demon try to negotiate with you. So what I do is I just go, I'm just going to keep going. 
no matter what. And then I try to meet those demons with understanding and go, ah, so this is what I do. Huh. So as soon as it gets really hard, this is what I sound like. Okay. If I can just take one more step, I win. If I can take another step, I win. And over time, once I finish it, I then get on top of my demons. But they never rest, man. They <laughs> never rest. But one thing I learned, once they understand that you ain't quitting, once quitting is off the table, your body will find a way to adjust. It just will. I was running up this hill. Hill is like this in Greensboro. I got a 20 kilo weight vest on and I think I've done something to my calf. I'm thinking now I can't finish, but that's my demons. I go, no, even when you think you can't finish, you got 40% left in the tank. So I said, I just got to just keep going. And over time, I finished it and I thought, holy shit, what else can I do? Then I get intrigued about what else I can do and push that envelope a little bit further. Watch out for the demons. So you've had a lot of great coaches across your basketball career from high school to professionally, but now you're a coach, coaching the Australian three-on-three women's team about to go to the Commonwealth Games. From your perspective, what does it take to be a great coach? I'm trying to be a great coach, and I know I'm, I'm not a great coach now, but I had some good coaches, and I've also learned from some horrific coaches on what not to do. As a good coach, your selection criteria has got to be rock solid. Now, here's one thing I learned. Relationships, they are important. You want to foster good relationships, but you got to pick the right people. You got to pick the right people. My selection criteria now is number one, it is not up for debate. You got to have character. You got to recruit character. If you recruit a bad person, a selfish person, they will eventually bring you unstuck. So number one is character. I got to find those good people. Number two, they got to be unselfish, a good teammate. Number three, they got to be tough. And I ain't just talking about physically tough, Nunny. I'm talking about emotionally tough. Anybody can be physically tough, but as soon as something don't go their way, a decision don't go their way, any kind of adversity shows up and they get all sad. They get emotionally fragile. They want to quit. You can't have that. So they got to be emotionally tough. And then the last one is talent, which shouldn't even be on the list because talent is implied anyway. So I find all those ingredients in people put them together, then I foster the relationships and find out about them as a person. What makes them tick? What was their childhood like? What's some things that you need to help you be successful? What's some things you don't need? You know what I mean? Conversations that sometimes mm. coaches don't take the time to have because they're too busy worrying about their sexy offenses and defenses. When you got to get to the people, you got it's all about the people. So who was your best coach? It ain't fair to say who was best because Everybody had so many good attributes, but my high school coach started off. He was the guy that A was honest with me and said, you're not very good. To my credit, I believed him and I, I worked hard. Then he was the guy that taught me how to believe in myself when I didn't. I was 16 years old. I just had fake bravado, but he taught me how to believe in myself and to not be a victim. Because even when I got to that college in Alaska, I called coach, my high school coach, and I was crying, saying, hey, man, this dude ain't letting me play. It's cold up here. Come on, man. I can, it's got to be other schools out there. And he just was like, hey, man, you didn't even have a school two weeks ago. What are you talking about? You better figure out what that dude wants and give it to him. So he kept it real with me, man. He put everything in perspective. And to this day, he's still like one of my good mates. Like I spoke to him yesterday for about two hours. We talk all the time. So he was my like my first early learning coach that gave me the basics. Yeah. Then I had other coaches that was skilled in certain areas, not so skilled in other areas. 
But Brendan Joyce, who coached us both, Brendan was the best tactician I've ever been around. Like if you gave that dude 24 hours to prepare, I, I, I was confident we was going to win. He just knew the counters to the counters. He was playing chess. He was moves ahead. So, yeah, I really appreciated that, and that helped my game. And now I'm real detail-orientated the way Brendan was, sometimes <laughs> a little bit too far. <laughs> so as a coach, you're the person your team turns to you generally in hard times. I'm interested to know how you face those moments as a leader, and do you show vulnerability or do you have a brave face? What kind of person are you? I meet all those head-on. Every one of my team knows that I would do whatever. Like nothing is too hard. I need my team to know that. And that's what these missions I'm on is it's got in me now. Like it's alive in me now. Like I live this life. But what I'm saying, I actually live it. My team knows I'm the guy that's bear crawling two K's a day on his knuckles. Hey, nutty, one day <laughs> I didn't have my gloves and my wrist was hurting so bad. I crawled like this skin coming off my knuckles. I'm living this life. They know it. I'm running when it's 80% humidity. I'm running when it's two degrees outside. It don't matter. So when I say to my girls, we got to own this adversity, I love it. It can't, I wish it was harder. They go, ah. <laughs> and one of my players actually said to me when I asked her what her biggest weakness was, she went into a little bit of detail, but she said, I can tell that you're a killer. I was like, yeah. That's exactly who I am. That's who I am now. I wasn't always this way, but I done been through so much in the last 19 months that it comes out. It comes out the way I talk. It comes out the way I act. And I think my team feeds off of it. I'd like to know what you think it takes to make a great team. Obviously, you, we spoke before about how many championships you've played in. What are the building blocks? You got to have buy-in. You got to have buy-in. Everybody got an ego, right? Individual ego, there's a place for it. But you got to have a team ego and you got to have standards like everybody talks culture. I don't, I don't even like using that word no more culture. It's thrown around too loosely. I want to just say it's the way it is the way. And the way is what we will not tolerate before we even talk about what we're going to do. Let's talk about what we are not going to do. We are not going to have this. We ain't having nobody take all the damn shots. I don't care how good you are. We're not going to have anybody dribbling the life out of the ball. We're not going to have anybody uh, disrespecting teammates, disrespecting officials, disrespecting coaches. We're going to have all these absolute non-negotiable things that we are not going to have. And if it shows up one time, the whole team goes like this. Hey, tell you doing. We don't do that over here. So then you look at what we're going to have. We're going to be a good teammate. And I want to know what everybody thinks is a good teammate. Because <laughs> what you think is a good teammate might not be what we think <laughs> is a good teammate. So let's all agree on this. A lot of that Ray McLean stuff, who you also know, starts to slide in. So we all get the whole buy-in and we all agree on it. These days, you just can't be that tyrant, my way or the highway. You can't be that. You got to get this group to own it. So I say, hey, guys, I don't know about you, but I think it's soft. If you go to you get hit and lay on the ground for five seconds playing for a foul, that's just me. What do you guys think? Now, if you disagree with me, it might reveal your character. But we all agree that this is soft. We all agree that this is tough. We all agree this is how we want to play the game. And then once we do it, I now become the gatekeeper. I become the protector of the way, nunny. Anybody, I don't care if you can, I don't care if you female and you can dunk. I don't care if you averaging a quadruple double. If you step outside the way, get out. 
That's what I think it takes to make a good team. Wins and losses, they take care of themselves. You're going to win some games, going to lose some games. And that's another thing. You got to win the right way. Don't be that person that wins and then you're over there celebrating and gloating and you don't acknowledge your teammates for giving you the game-winning assist or getting the game-winning rebound and kicked it out to you. Mm-hmm. And then when you lose, lose the right way. Don't be a sook. Don't not want to shake the opposition's hand. Don't come back making excuses, talking about, oh, we would have won if this and if that. It's a way to win and it's a way to lose. And all these things get talked about with my group. Off the field versus on the field, what part do you think that plays in You know, uh, developing close relationships and great performing teams? You got to care about them as a person. If I'm not saying like, obviously there's a big age gap between me and these girls and you don't want to just be, I'm not going to be going out to dinner and the movies and stuff like that, but I got to touch base. I got to take a personal, Mm. genuine interest in your life. I should know, I should know about their family. I should know about their brothers and sisters and girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever the case may be. I got to take a genuine interest because if you only just want me just to play, I'm I'm not going to get the full person because every player brings all their personal stuff with them. And if you think they don't, you're kidding yourself. Here's an example. When I was playing um, in the NBL, we on a 10-game winning streak. We think life is great. One guy on the team, girlfriend, is about to break up with him. He comes into training. He's down in the dumps. Coach looks at him and goes, hey, man, what's wrong with you? We're on a 10-game winning streak. Why are you looking all sad? The coach didn't know about his personal situation. He never checked in. Hey, man, how's the fam? How's your missus going? He would have, he probably would have found out. Another player says his rent is late. He's one, he's making minimal money. He's struggling to pay the rent. He don't give a damn about the 10 game winning streak. His real estate agent don't give a damn about our 10 game winning streak. He's down in the dumps. He brings that to training. And the coach says, Hey guys, you got to leave all your personal problems out the door. Don't work that way. They bring them with them. It's with them 24-7. So what I want to do as a coach is let my players know I care about you. And if I care about you, I know it's the same as me as a player. If I felt you was with me, I'll run through a wall for you. If I felt like you only wanted me for two hours a day and didn't really give a damn about the rest of my life, it just wasn't enough. So that's what I try to do. And if you do that with everybody, your team will be a tight fist. When you were a player, you would have been on the receiving end of feedback constantly. How has your experience shaped the way you deliver feedback to your team? And are there any secrets in doing it really well? I think it is. A, you got to be honest. And your girls, or in my case, my girls, they got to know that I'm sincere and this ain't personal. And they know that I will tell them what I want them to do, what I think they need to work on, what I think their weaknesses are. I will write down their strengths. But now it's the way you deliver it. You don't want your words to be arrows all the time. You say it in the wrong way. There's so many different personalities. Some people are thicker skinned than others. Some people are more sensitive than others. You got to be able to deliver it in a manner that's appropriate to that person. To me and you, coach could tell you to whatever, you know, come on, nanny, Damon. But to other people, they might cave in a little bit. So I find out what type of person that person is. I deliver it that way. But here's one thing I did. I wrote down all the positive attributes of every player, what I thought of them. And then I say to the girls, I go, I wrote down a bunch of stuff I thought about you. Would you like to see it? They all said, of course. I show it to them. They all feel good about it. They all, Damon thinks of me like this. I mean, how many times does a coach actually tell you what he actually likes about you? You know what I mean? So they already go, oh, hey, thanks. That's nice. 
And I'll say, there's room on there for more, but you got to give it to me. I don't know what that is, but if you show it to me, I'm happy to keep writing. On the flip side of this page is what you need to work on and your weaknesses. I don't want to assume. You tell me what your weaknesses are and let's get to the bottom of it. And then I bring out the five whys, Navy SEAL stuff, Nunny. If you got a problem, ask yourself why, then you'll answer it. Ask yourself why again, then you answer it. By the time you get to the fifth why, you'll likely be at the core of the issue. That's a uh, an intimate way of getting to know people. They appreciate it. So when I'm delivering feedback, they're going, Damon ain't out here to hurt me. Damon says he's being, he's being real. So I think I get extra buy-in when I do it that way. Have you ever had a time where you've failed and you've taken that failure as a lesson learned? <laughs> Not so recently. See, I didn't have resilience emotionally. My emotional stamina was low. I could play my guts out for 48 minutes, but if you said the wrong thing to me, if you done something I totally disagree with, I would lash out. If I didn't lash out, I would withdraw. That's emotional fragileness, right? So I had plenty of failures, and what I did was what most people do. They blame other people for their failures. That's what I did. And this is why it's good on these missions to listen to nothing, because I'm running around in circles for five hours, thinking about all my bullshit. I was like, oh, you did it there too. Oh, you did it over there too. And then I put all these pieces together. I go, this is what you do. All this time, you've been doing this. I was a professional victim. It wasn't my fault. I can play. If you wouldn't have said that, you demotivated me. You know what I mean? I made coaches the bad guys. I made teammates the bad guys. So all those failures, I could have played in the league way longer than what I did. But I, I just wasn't, I wasn't emotionally mature enough to. Now, here I am, long time retired, and now I'm developing, I'm, I'm, I'm building my emotional resilience, and now I want to, I want to share with my players and let them know, let them know what their patterns are and the pitfalls and what to look for, and then put them in situations that will test them. Put them in situations where you have got to confront it and then see what you do. So what's one thing you've implemented in your life that's had the biggest impact on your success? Do not look for the easy way out. Read this book again. A Navy SEAL guy wrote a book called Embrace the Suck. <laughs> when it sucks, people generally quit. They don't want to do nothing that sucks. Why? Because it sucks. Me now, I'm looking for the hard thing. If it ain't hard, I feel like I'm literally wasting my time. Because I know if I do something that sucks, it's going to force me into parts of me that wouldn't normally come out. And then as a result of achieving that, accomplishing it, I get stronger. It's like the high, it's like that old movie that the Highlander. Every time he killed a bad guy, he get bigger and bigger. He called it the quickening. That's what I feel like now when I go out there and do something that the average person wouldn't do or what I wasn't capable of doing previously. Now that I can do it, I go, do you know there's nothing now that can make me quit? That's my mentality now. Whereas in the past, I was thinking, oh, I hope we don't have to do this. I hope he doesn't say run 13 suicides. I hope we don't have to do that. The beep test. Now it's like this beep test. Give me two of them and I'll do it with a weight <laughs> vest. I want to really push myself because that's what life is going to require of you when things get hard anyway. When life throws them curveballs at you, if you don't know how to hit a curveball, you're going to strike out. So I'm trying to throw myself curveballs. Okay. It's time for the buzzer beaters. Rapid fire questions to wrap up the interviews with short, quick answers. LeBron or Kobe? Kobe. Why? Why do people disrespect Kobe? 
Five chips with the same team, battled through all kind of adversity, didn't change teams, didn't get coaches fired. I mean, Braun, you're super-duper good, but you ain't Kobe. Okay. Pre-game superstitions, Andy? I had to just get a nap in, but nah, I'll just kind of just rock up. Which book had the biggest impact on you? You Can't Hurt Me, David Goggins. Best coach you ever had, and why? I'm going to go high school coach, Norwayne Reed, because he taught me how to believe in myself. Excellent. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for joining me, Damon Larry. Too easy, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Building Teams podcast. For more information about Matt and Nun Media, visit nunmedia.com.au. Follow the show for future episodes and leaving a review or rating helps others find the podcast.